Hello, I'm Natalie Goldberg, and this is Education from an Equal. Today, I wanted to discuss something that is actually becoming a bigger part of the worldwide discussion for teenagers in high school, despite the fact that it is not being made a priority in their education. As people have begun to be more open about sexual assault as a result of the hashtag MeToo movement, people have also begun to be more open regarding domestic abuse and the way that it has affected their lives. Men are coming out and stating that they have been abused by their female partners, but have not felt comfortable admitting to it for fear of cultural backlash. People in queer relationships have discussed their struggle with abusive partners threatening to out them. In an inspiring fashion, the world has begun to open up to people in these vulnerable situations in order to make a tangible change with their struggle. Unfortunately, nationwide health curriculum regarding domestic abuse is not reflective of this cultural movement. Though domestic abuse education is definitely not as subpar as curriculum regarding sex or STDs, it still must be adjusted and tweaked to be relevant to the teens of the modern era, or it will do no good for the future of our nation. Before we get into it, I wanted to warn people about the content of this episode. As with a discussion of a topic as sensitive as this, there are bound to be some intense moments. If you are at all sensitive to domestic abuse or violence issues, I would recommend you skip this episode. I never knew about the majority of domestic abuse issues prior to researching for this episode, besides the obvious ones often discussed in health class, physical, emotional, and verbal abuse. Luckily, I have never experienced any type of domestic abuse. However, I have discussed with my friends from all over the country about their own experiences with toxic relationships, where they were not even able to recognize the warning signs of their relationship becoming abusive, a direct result of the lacking health curriculum. These stories are heartbreaking, with young teenagers minimizing the abuse they were facing every day simply because they felt as though it wasn't important, as they had never heard it discussed before. Since they had never heard of financial abuse, or of a woman abusing a man rather than vice versa, they felt as though the problems they were facing were all made up in their heads. This is a prime example of the necessity driving the switch to a nationalized, inclusive health curriculum that includes a full discussion of domestic abuse issues. If the domestic abuse curriculum doesn't target issues facing modern teenagers, how will any of the advice be relevant and actually help to make a change within the lives of these teenagers? We'll be discussing this question, and more, in today's episode. In health classes currently, the curriculum is actually not abysmal in terms of the discussion of toxic relationships. They do an acceptable job, but as time goes on and the curriculum is not updated, many of the things taught become irrelevant to modern teenagers. Things like verbal, physical, and emotional abuse are often mentioned and explained. However, they are not as frequently placed into the context of modern teens' lives. With modern issues like digital verbal abuse on social media and with often undefined terms like gaslighting, it is oftentimes difficult for teens to relate to the antiquated curriculum. Additionally, many devastating forms of abuse are left out of the conversation altogether, making many teens feel as though they are making the issue up in their heads, when in reality, they are experiencing incredibly traumatic forms of abuse. Issues like financial abuse, sexual abuse, reproductive abuse, abuse by a woman to a man, and abuse in LGBTQ plus or gender non-conforming relationships are rarely, if ever, discussed. This leaves some of the most vulnerable members of society without any means of dealing with their toxic or abusive relationships. It is absolutely crucial that additions are made to the modern curriculum, 
because modern teens are experiencing modern forms of abuse that would be unrecognizable to the parents in today's world. So the protection and education must come from the teachers in this generation. The impetus for this change is clear, both through an examination of anecdotal evidence from my own life, where I've seen students minimize years-long abuses because they have never heard what they were experiencing be discussed, as well as through statistics from loveisrespect.org. Prior to evaluating curriculums from different states in America, I didn't believe that domestic abuse was even that prevalent amongst teens. However, as I looked into the data, I was shocked by the fact that nearly 1.5 million high school students in America experience physical abuse from a partner every year, and that one in three adolescents in the United States is a victim of physical, sexual, emotional, or verbal abuse from a dating partner. Not only were these two facts striking, but I also learned that women between the ages of 16 and 24 experience the highest rate of intimate partner violence, when I had previously thought that domestic abuse was not a, quote, teen issue. After reading the statistic and understanding that 16, 17, and 18-year-olds, all those still in high school, were the most likely to be affected by domestic abuse, I knew that this was one of the most important issues I was going to cover in my podcast. Not only are women ages 16 to 24 three times more likely to experience intimate partner violence than any other group, but violent behavior typically begins between the ages of 12 and 18, again proving why it is so crucial to discuss this issue in high school specifically. Though I will be going over the different forms of domestic abuse that I believe should be covered in a national inclusive health curriculum, I think what is most important to change about the current way in which we approach this topic is the context surrounding it. While it is very important to teach young teens the warning signs for teen dating violence in order to allow them to make the most safe and educated relationship decisions, it is also important to discuss the cultural issues behind teen domestic violence. As I discussed in my second episode, toxic masculinity is a huge contributor to this problem, and other issues similar to that should also be included within this unit in health. In order for the current state of rampant domestic violence in the United States to change, we must teach young people not to be abusive rather than just teaching them when to get out of an abusive relationship. In order to accomplish this, I believe that the best course of action is to hold emotional intelligence and empathy trainings, especially with young boys. In order to erase the constant cultural narrative that boys have been taught about how masculinity and violence are intertwined, they must be exposed to ways in which they can appropriately express their feelings. Through discussions of proper verbal communication, self-care in terms of taking time to cool off from an angering situation, and the impacts of intimate partner violence, progress will be made in terms of educating the future of our nation. However, the responsibility to teach this to teens is not just as a result of their own lack of inability to recognize domestic violence, but also comes as a result of their parents. 81% of parents believe that teen dating violence is not an issue, and though 82% of parents feel confident that they could recognize the signs if their child was experiencing dating abuse, a vast majority of parents could not actually correctly identify all of the warning signs. Many of our parents have also never been exposed to the majority of these types of abuses in their own lives or educations, and thus have no way to recognize the issues. History cannot keep repeating itself. It is up to schools to educate teens in order to keep us safe and out of these toxic relationships, and so we can recognize signs in our friends as well, because many of the adults around us are unable to. Though we discussed that a contextual shift in the discussion of domestic abuse is what is truly crucial, 
It is also important to understand the different forms of domestic abuse, specifically through the lens of teens. While I will be briefly going over emotional, physical, and verbal abuse, those three are usually covered in the health classes in most states to an acceptable degree, so I'll focus the majority of the time on the lesser-discussed abuses. However, it is still important to discuss what these basic types are in order to develop a more nuanced understanding of the other types. So, the first type of abuse that often comes to mind when a discussion of domestic abuse arises is physical abuse. Physical abuse can range from threats of physical violence accompanied by threatening body language to full-on punching and attacks. Oftentimes, this is the most straightforward type of domestic violence to understand and recognize from an outside perspective. I'll be linking a domestic abuse hotline, as well as hotlines specific to each of these different types of abuse on the transcripts page of my website. Next is emotional abuse, which can come in many forms. Emotional abuse is often discussed in health classes, but I wanted to bring up some teen relationship-specific forms of emotional abuse in order to give a basic idea of what it is. Though emotional abuse can take many forms, here are some of the most common ones. Feeling the need to ask for permission before doing something. Someone demanding to know your passwords, blaming you for everything that's going wrong in their lives, even when that doesn't relate to you, or incessantly calling and texting you to know where you are. Additionally, I wanted to bring up the term gaslighting, something that often occurs with emotional abuse. Gaslighting is manipulating someone into questioning their own sanity. Oftentimes, it can occur on such a small scale that it goes unnoticed, but if it continues for the duration of a relationship, it can lead to depression and isolation in the partner being emotionally targeted. The most important thing to remember in a discussion of emotional abuse is to not minimize your own feelings. If something someone is doing in a relationship is making you feel uncomfortable and unsafe, you shouldn't ignore that feeling, and you should take action by calling a specialized hotline that can give you a detailed plan for what to do. Finally, we have verbal abuse, which is important to adapt to modern teens. Though, like physical abuse, it is often relatively straightforward, it can also take place over technology, complicating this otherwise straightforward issue. For example, it could be making posts on social media targeting your significant other, or spreading personal details about them on the internet. Now, moving on to the more rare types of abuse. We're going to start with reproductive abuse, then go into sexual abuse, then financial abuse, and finally, LGBTQ plus specific abuse. Something that has been on my mind a lot lately in terms of health curriculum is reproductive abuse, something that is not discussed at all in any curriculum that I have heard of so far. A major practice in reproductive abuse is something that is highly prevalent among teens as opposed to adults, known as, quote, stealthing. Stealthing is defined, according to dictionary.com, as the act of removing a condom during sex without the consent of the partner. It's actually illegal in many countries and is a type of sexual assault. This practice is an unfortunate hallmark of the modern era that is important to bring up when talking about domestic abuse, as a discussion of why it is wrong and how to prevent against it could benefit young teens and help alleviate this abusive practice. Other forms of reproductive abuse can include lying about being on birth control or forcing abortion or pregnancy on your partner without their consent. Overall, reproductive abuse is a lot about taking away someone's bodily autonomy, and it is something that can be incredibly dangerous for teens. Because it is kept so hidden from many students, they may not know how to seek help if they are experiencing it, reinforcing its necessity for inclusion. Next, sexual abuse is a very difficult subject to discuss for many, but in terms of intimate partner relationships, it can be hard to discern. 
whether it comes in the form of marital rape or sexual exploitation, or even leaking someone's intimate photographs, sexual abuse can be earth-shattering for many people. One way it affects teens specifically is through the leaking of intimate photographs. Not only is this abusive, but it is also highly illegal, as it constitutes the provision of child pornography. Bringing up controversial issues like these within classrooms can expose teens to the consequences of their actions and provoke thought regarding trust and safety within relationships, bettering the lives of teens all over America. Next, though financial abuse is not as common in teens as it is with adults, as teens are not often financially independent in the first place, it is still crucial to include this in the curriculum, as it would allow teens to have the information they need in order to stay out of financially abusive relationships in the future. Financial abuse is actually very common in cases where other types of domestic abuse are present. However, it is brought up a lot less than those other types of abuse. In my opinion, it is often actually one of the most harmful, because it provides the person no avenue to leave their abuser, as they have no financial means of doing so. As I discussed in the last episode, another important reason why health curriculums must include LGBTQ specific issues is because of domestic abuse. There are actually multiple different forms of queer-specific domestic abuse, however, without having proper attention drawn to them in a classroom setting, young, inexperienced teens entering their first queer relationship may not even know that they are being subject to abuse. The first, and most obvious aspect of queer-specific domestic abuse is threatening to out the other person in the relationship. Especially at the high school age, where students are almost always monetarily dependent on their parents, it is very dangerous for someone to be outed without their consent as, if they have unsupported parents, this can mean losing their entire livelihood. It is never anyone else's place to out someone, and it is important that through domestic abuse curriculum, this issue is addressed in order to protect vulnerable queer students. Other aspects of LGBTQ specific domestic abuse would be purposefully using incorrect pronouns in order to refer to a partner that is socially transitioning, unless the other person has expressly asked you to in certain situations. Young, queer students are already an incredibly vulnerable population, yet issues like queer-specific domestic abuse are rarely, if ever, discussed, leaving the door open for even more discrimination and unease. With this, it can also be difficult to seek help for these problems without outing oneself, making it even more important that schools provide resources for students in these dangerous situations. Prior to the conclusion of this show, I just wanted to make a note that throughout discussions of domestic violence, it is important that educators and students steer clear of victim blaming. With domestic abuse, sometimes discussions can lead to comments like, maybe she shouldn't have been on such close terms with her ex, or maybe she did something to instigate the behavior, when in reality, we should be focusing on condemning the abuse that took place. It is crucial to keep this in mind in order to ensure that these discussions remain positive and productive. Today. We examine the need for domestic abuse education for teens through statistical analysis courtesy of loveisrespect.org, as well as through anecdotes from my own life. Clearly, modern-era domestic abuse education that includes lesser-known types of abuse like reproductive, sexual, financial, and LGBTQ specific is necessary in order to decrease the number of teens affected by domestic violence. As the cultural tides turn and open up discussions regarding domestic abuse and its effects, it is time for the learning environment to reflect this in order to shape the next generation. Thank you so much for tuning into the fourth episode of Education from an Equal. The next episode will be released on Sunday, April 21st. And if you want a preview of what we will be discussing, 
be sure to check out my website, www.educationfromanequal.com. See you then on Education From An Equal.